Hello, my name is Matthew Grant and it's great to be sharing with you today for this, the final part in our series on the character of God. Now this is my dad. For those of you who knew him, I hope that you see something of him in me. For those who didn't have the privilege of knowing him, I hope that by knowing me, you will know something of what it was like to know him. And these are my boys, of whom I'm immensely proud. Like any father, I hope that some of my characteristics have rubbed off on them. Well, the good ones, anyway. It's one of the common traits of family that certain markers and identifiable traits are passed down. But it's not just family. As humans, we have a tendency to absorb and reflect characteristics and traits of those around us. This is particularly true of work. Now, I don't currently have much management responsibility, but I have in the past. And the traits I try to embody in my management style owe a lot to a former boss of mine and a member of this church, Malcolm Murray. The same is true in church life, of course, where I try to embody some of the traits of those who went before me, like another who's sadly no longer with us, Edwin Munger. Well, why do we do this? It's not because we want to imitate others or because we think they were or are perfect, but because we want to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. It's not about creating clones of the perfect individual, all homogenous and uniform, because, well, that would be boring. But neither should we be focused on, or so focused on being true to ourselves, as they say, that we miss or dismiss the opportunity to learn from others. So in this final part of our series on the character of God, we are looking to wrap things up and pull all the threads together by talking about Jesus. Now Andy Wright set me up well for this in his online preach from the 10th of July on God is Forgiving. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out on YouTube, it's still there. Now in that preach he read from Hebrews 1 verse 3 in the New Living Translation, which rather helpfully says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Now, I also like the way that Tom Wright interprets this in his New Testament for Everyone translation. He says, he is the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his very own being. Imagine that, being so like someone else in your character that you can be described as being the precise expression of his very own being. But here we're not just dealing with some guy who is trying to embody the best traits of some other guy. Here we're talking about God the Father and God the Son. Distinct and yet one. Don't worry. I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity. I don't have time and I'm not sure I could uh, do it very well anyway. Um, but it's an important distinction to make at this point. And the reason that it's important is because I want to shift our focus now to John 14 and specifically verse 9. But for context, context let's start at verse 1. 
Again, this is from the New Testament for everyone, but feel free to read it in whatever translation you have or that you prefer to use. It says, Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus continued. Trust God and trust me too. There's plenty of room to live in my father's house. If that wasn't the case, I'd have told you, wouldn't I? I'm going to get a place ready for you. And if I do go and get a place ready for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you can be there where I am. As to where I am going, you know the way. Actually, Master, said Thomas to him, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I am the way, replied Jesus, and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Just show us the Father then, Master, said Philip to Jesus, and that'll be good enough for us. Have I been with you for such a long time, Philip, replied Jesus, and still you don't know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now Jesus here is speaking to his disciples, of course, and giving final instructions and preparing them for his crucifixion. Not that they understood that. And it centres around two important questions. Where is Jesus going? And how are they, and subsequently we, able to get there too? Now Jesus assures the disciples that he is going to his father's house, where a place will be made ready for them. The dwelling place of the father, of course, is what we refer to as heaven. Now for many Christians and outside observers, this place exists in some alternate location far away from this earth that we inhabit. For me, it makes much more sense to see heaven as physically located in the same space that we inhabit, but in a spiritual sense oper operating on an alternate plane of existence that's obscured from our consciousness most of the time, and we see and experience in varying degrees as we travel through this life and as God breaks through the curtain. I don't have time to go into that in detail, and it is just my view, but maybe another time, and I'd be very happy to discuss it with anyone who wants to. For now, it'll have to remain a side note, because the second question is much more important in the context of what we're discussing today. How are they to join Jesus there? Now, the answer to this question requires some interpretation as well, but maybe less controversially. Jesus says, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is often quoted in isolation as a salvation text. And while that's not incorrect, it's interesting to zoom out just a little more and explore it in light of the preceding two verses. Jesus tells them that they know the way. But Thomas says, actually, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? So the verse we have picked up on here is a direct response to the question. Jesus says, you know the way, I am the way, and then clarifies that he's the way to the Father. Now it's a strange concept thinking of someone as being the way to a destination. In our world, if somebody asks you the way to Basingstoke, 
you would say perhaps along the M3 or down the A339 or something like that. You wouldn't say, Jeff. Jeff is the way. Of course, this starts to make a bit more sense when you stop thinking of the destination Jesus is referring to as being a physical location and more of a, a spiritual one. It's not about how we get from point A to point B, leaving Basingstoke to journey to heaven. Instead, it's about how we go mentally and spiritually from seeing the world through clouded and blinkered eyes to seeing with heavenly eyes and existing increasingly within that other plane I referred to earlier. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the way? This is explained in verse 9, the one I was really getting at. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how does this help? Well, to answer that, we need to come back to Hebrews 1, but with a swift detour through Genesis. Among the many things that we learn from the Genesis account of creation is God's original purpose and intention for creating and singling out mankind for special status. God desires above all else to have a relationship with us, to walk with us in the garden, to work with us across his creation. And this was really one of the catalysts for our discussion to dedicate a series to the character of God. Because if we are craving a relationship with him, then the way to develop this is through developing a deeper understanding of who he is, what is his character. Now the fall in Genesis cuts us off from the ability to know who he is. But through Jesus we're given the opportunity to see this from a human perspective once again. As we have heard, Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us, depending on your translation, that Jesus is, is the exact representation of God's being, expresses the very character of God, is the precise expression of God's very own being, is the express image of God's person, is the exact representation and perfect image of God's essence, is the exact expression of God's nature, perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature, shows exactly what God is like, and so on. You get the picture. But why does this allow us to see God's character from a human perspective? Well, because as difficult as it is to understand, Jesus was fully human. He lived among us, was a child, grew into a man, dealt with life, experienced highs and lows, and did all of this while expressing the very character of God. Not to show us how inadequate we are, but to show us how God is not some distant, unreachable, disinterested deity, but close, tangible, real, and full of compassion, grace, patience, love, faithfulness, mercy, forgiveness, and justice. So it was at this point that I wanted to include some examples from across the church of people's favourite stories of Jesus embodying these characteristics. But 
Unfortunately, I received no response uh, to my request. So I can only assume that either you don't have any uh, stories or you're very shy. So I'm going to go with that you're very shy. And instead, I'm going to take one of my own favourite stories and try to wrap up as many of the characteristics we've been through within that one story. So that's my challenge. Uh, I'll let you be the judges of how well I do with that. But this is the story. It's The Woman Caught in Adultery from John chapter 8. Not going to read it through now for the sake of time, but if you want to pause the video and have a quick read of it and remind yourself of the story, please do. Uh, it's not very long, uh, beginning of uh, John chapter 8. So the first characteristic that we uh, looked at was compassion. And as Farai taught us back at the beginning of the series, compassion is more than just sympathy. It's also the desire to do something about it. So here in this story, we see Jesus confronted with a woman who is being utterly humiliated by the Pharisees. They don't bring the matter to Jesus in private, but in the temple courts in front of many, many people. And not only that, but she's made to stand in the middle of them. Utterly stripped of all dignity and humanity. Now the compassion in the way that Jesus deals with this situation is shown in how Jesus is not only just sympathetic to her situation, but in his actions, which result in the crowd leaving, one by one, until it was just her and Jesus. At which point her dignity and humanity is restored to her, and she's sent on her way. The next character trait we looked at was grace, and Ray reminded us of how God's graciousness is about inclusivity that knows no bounds, regardless of what you've done or where you've come from. In our story here, we're dealing with a woman who is almost certain who sorry, who almost certainly doesn't deserve the treatment that she's getting, but nonetheless is no angel, and has made, shall we say, some poor choices. Now, Jesus does not treat her as a pariah, though. In fact, he takes great pains to level the play, playing field. And he does this by challenging her accusers to acknowledge their own sin before deciding to throw the first stone. Unsurprisingly, no one can live up to the standard. Everyone is in the same boat. The next character trait we looked at was slow to anger or patience. And Dan did an excellent job of balancing a God who does, who does get angry when it is justified. With a God who is patient with us and does not react in anger hastily. Now I often think when I read about the Pharisees just how patient Jesus really was with them. The beginning of the verses that tell this story say that they did what they did to test Jesus so they could frame a charge against him. This is not the first time or the last time that they would do this. And I think how I might respond if someone was constantly trying to catch me out and trip me up. I don't think I would remain so calm. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't shout at them or 
have a go at them, he squats down and writes something on the ground with his finger. We're not told what he writes or why he, why he did so. We can only assume that if we're not told, it probably wasn't of much significance to us anyway. But perhaps I can suggest this was an example of him being slow to anger, of giving the Pharisees a chance to change their trajectory, to realise their folly before stepping in to absolutely own them into the middle of next week. The next character trait that we looked at was love. Mark Nash visited uh, with us to unpack how God's love is not the love that has been identified uh, and defined by popular culture in our society. And you know, when I think about this story and imagine it unfolding in my head, I see the moment when all of the crowd has left and the woman stands alone and Jesus stands and looks at her. And it's that look that in my mind is so full of love for this woman. Not the romantic love that we often think of or the transient love that's paraded on television, but the deep, abounding, steadfast love of one who cares so deeply for the person before him that he would go to the cross just for her. The next character trait that we looked at was mercy. And Robin explained how grace was when God gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy was when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And his quote from James 2 was that mercy triumphs over judgment. I like that. Because that is, at its heart, is what this story of Jesus is all about. Instead of the judgment that was being offered to this woman by the Pharisees, what Jesus offers is mercy. Not a let off, not appeasement, but mercy. Not allowing her to suffer the fate that judgment said she deserved. The next trait is faithfulness. And we had Ben and Miriam, who taught us about God's faithfulness to his word, to his character and to his covenant. Now, this was a bit of an interesting one, a bit of a head scratcher in the light of this story that we're looking at, because it's the very thing that the Pharisees are seeking to use against Jesus. They, they quote the law of Moses given by God to trap Jesus into contradicting it and giving them an excuse to charge him. So is Jesus going against the covenant law that given to Moses and therefore bringing into question the faithfulness of God to that covenant? No, of course he isn't. Jesus doesn't counter the judgment of the people. He doesn't throw out the prescribed punishment. And he doesn't dismiss the woman's actions as insignificant. Instead, he questions the right of those administering such punishment. And then to the woman, he says, repent, change your life, don't sin again. 
And then the character trait we looked at was forgiveness. As I've already mentioned at the beginning, Andy took us through this one and how God's forgiveness was not based on our merits, but is something that is freely given. Here in our story, we see Jesus saying to the woman, where are they? Hasn't anybody condemned you? Well, then I don't condemn you either. And then justice. Finally, last week, Caroline Wadsworth spoke eloquently about justice and accountability in God's character. While there is forgiveness and love, there must also be responsibility and justice. So Jesus doesn't leave it at I don't condemn you either. The woman, as I said before, has made some poor choices and there must be consequences to that. The consequence, though, is not what we may deem as consequences. See, as a society, we're very wrapped up in punishment as proportionate justice to the wrong that's been done. But justice in God's kingdom is not about punishment. It's about restoration. The justice here in this story is that the woman is restored through forgiveness, but also through the instruction to go and from now on, don't sin again. So as we draw this to a close, both my preach and the series, I want to leave you with this challenge. We said earlier that Jesus was the way to the Father because in Jesus we see the Father. All of the characteristics of God displayed in the person of Jesus. So how are we doing at showing people the way to Jesus by displaying the characteristics of Jesus? We are God's family. And in the same way, I hope that you see some of the best parts of my father in me and of me in my kids. We should hope that those we meet on a daily basis see some of God the Father and God the Son in us. Thanks for watching. God bless.